Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. If you would like to uh, be a part of the program, you could like to chime in. You could always call the listener hotline, the number 303-832-0217. On the show today, we will be talking about an interesting problem that first responders have to deal with all over the country. How do they deal with a crash that involves an electric vehicle? It's a new problem for them, as there are so many new electric vehicles on the roads, and there are several differences with the way EVs and gas-powered cars react to violent collisions. And uh, when they're in a crash, first responders going up to these uh, cars, whether they're an EV or an ICE car, trying to get people out of them, there are unique situations there. And and being electrocuted is a major concern for these folks. So today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Joe McLean. And, and Joe is uh, General Motors Global Product Safety and Systems Engineer. And Joe has been working with GM to educate first responders about how to deal with EV crashes and issues with the battery pack in an emergency and with all the electric cords in an emergency. It really is an interesting and worthwhile program they're doing there at GM. Uh, and I'm going to be talking to Joe here in just a minute on that. When was the last time you went to your state's fair? Now, I know this doesn't really apply to the international <laughs> listeners, but uh, here in the United States, all the states, they have their own state fair where uh, you go down to the state fair and they have uh, usually livestock of some sort, uh, odd foods. They have uh, exhibitions of people who have entered um, either a, a cooking contest or their best gourd. Um, <laughs> hey, look, this is this is my, uh, uh, my, my best butternut squash. And, and they enter it into a contest and they do a they have artwork and all kinds of different things, uh, carnival rides, all that stuff at, at the State Fair. Well, the State Fair here in Colorado is down in the little town of Pueblo. It's about two hours south of Denver, south of Colorado Springs. Uh, uh, for me, I, I haven't been to the Colorado State Fair in probably a little over 20 years. And, you know, because there's really not much going on down there in Pueblo. So, you know, it, it takes a little bit of time to get there. It's a, it, there's the steel mill. There's the Arkansas River that goes there under uh, uh, under the highway. Um, you know, I guess there's a little river walk of some sort down there. So that <laughs> that's what's going on in Pueblo. And, you know, I wish the state fair was better. Uh, there were some animals when we went down there, not too many. Um, there were some mildly interesting exhibits. Uh, there was some of that fair food, like the fried Oreos and fried Twinkies, um, fried alligator. But they came really mostly from these prefab portable pop-up stands. They look like they could uh, be almost at any state fair around the country. Um, They cook foods like fried alligator and and corn dogs, but nothing really local at at the state fair. Maybe there are other local things at other state fairs, but our state fair really doesn't uh, cater to them, I guess. I don't know. you know, it's 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 it was really disappointing because I know on TV we do all these news stories about hey, there's this great new weird food at the Wisconsin State Fair, uh, or they have this uh, giant butter uh, carving that you can come see. See that that's interesting. We don't have that at the Colorado State Fair, um, and all the food was really expensive. 
I mean, really, really, and and so were the rides. So there was they had a uh, the carnival area where they have the Ferris wheel and some of those crazy uh, rides that you would see at a fair. Well, it was twenty. What five bucks? It was yeah, so twenty for the four of us uh, to go on the Ferris wheel, and that was on the kitty one, not even the big one. Twenty bucks for the four of us. That was, <laughs> I I don't think so on this rickety um, Ferris wheel. So. I don't know. It was it, it was just fine. There was a reason that I haven't been there in 20 years, and I'm, I'm probably good for the next 20 years. Um, but there was something cool just a little bit west of Pueblo, about 45 minutes west of there. There's this thing, and I'll, I'll put a, a, a link in the description as best I can. It's something called Bishop Castle. So there's this guy who basically started building a castle out of out of stones and concrete and iron. And you're free to explore the the building and, and the property. Actually, there's a fence around there, an electric fence that keeps you from wandering off too far. And he has signs up that basically say, "If you get hurt or die, that's on you, not my fault." <laughs> He's and and, and and really, you could get hurt because the iron railing or you know like a patio area, if you will, was rickety and kind of scary. They had a, a like a 75 foot tall in this turret area, it was just this spiral iron staircase, and it was shaking. And then you get up to this this part where there's this, I mean, you're like 100 feet up in the air, and there's this bridge that goes over to this ladder-ish kind of thing, um, and it, it was wobbly, really wobbly, and somebody was just standing on it, and he goes, all right, now I, I have to get off, <laughs> I have to get off this thing. Um, it it was it was creepy cool all at the same time. Um, my wife got a little freaked out. She wasn't too happy. She thought it was also more creepy than cool. Um, and anyway, it was it. it <laughs> I'll, I'll put the description or the uh, the link to it, and you can see what it's like there in the description of the show. Uh, but it was a nice, then lovely drive back to Pueblo, um, and then back to uh, our place south of Denver, and. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good for the next 20 years. Uh, it, it, you know what? If you want to control a market, any market really, you 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 just control the money, right? So listen to this. There's a bank in Australia that's planning to stop giving loans to people who want to buy a new diesel-powered or gasoline-powered vehicle as the government there is trying to encourage the sale of electric vehicles. In a statement from Bank Australia, they said they're going to stop providing loans for new fossil fuel vehicles after 2025. And while there will be no more loans for new internal combustion engines, including hybrids, from 2025, Bank Australia will continue to provide loans for used ICE vehicles. And they're not the only loan service provider in Australia, but they are a large one. And this doesn't mean you can't save up your own money and buy a, a vehicle of your choosing without using a loan. You, that, and actually, that's a really good idea to save up your own money and then go buy a vehicle and you don't have to uh, take a loan out. Um, or, or you could use, let's say, a home equity line of credit. And you, you can buy anything you want with a home equity line of credit. They're not. There's nobody saying you can't buy um, you know, an ice car or an electric car or a, a speedboat or just a pile of rubber duckies if you want to put those all together in a bathtub somewhere. The largest non-bank car loan source in Australia, it's called Pepper Money, and they decided to offer a carrot instead of a stick 
saying that anyone who finances a zero emissions vehicle, an electric vehicle, will get 12 months of free charging. Not that they're going to stop giving loans to ICE vehicles, but that's another way for them to try to incentivize people driving uh, and buying electric cars. It'll be interesting to see how Bank Australia and other institutions, which will probably adopt that policy, do in the coming years. I expect this type of policy to be adopted by other banks, not not e- e- only there in Australia, but across Europe and in the United States. It's going to be coming here, I'm sure. Uh, you, you know, most other nations, they don't have the same freedoms as, as we do here in the United States to just buy whatever you want, however you want. Um, it, you know, this is the world famous, as I say it all the time, world famous driving you crazy podcast. And we do have listeners in other parts of the world, including many in Germany and Canada, Serbia, and a bunch in Australia. So hello uh, to you folks down under. What And what do you listeners in Australia think about this, this news? You can drop me a line from any of the contact links in the description of the show, uh, including on WhatsApp. For you international lister, listeners, I put my WhatsApp number uh, there, the link, and you can, you can uh, yeah, give me a call or, or send me a message there on, on WhatsApp, and I'd love to hear from you. Well, imagine being a first responder and showing up to a crash scene, an emergency, with a vehicle that's, that's smoking. And, it, and it's not from an engine that's overheating, but it's actually from the batteries that are heating up and about to catch on fire. Or, or a first responder is showing up to the same vehicle and not knowing after it's been in a crash, if he touches the metal, will they get electrocuted? Well, this is the reality for officers, firefighters, first responders, as they see more and more emergencies involving electric vehicles. Now, General Motors is working to educate first responders about EVs in an effort to keep them safe while they try to keep us safe. Joining me now to talk more about this is Joe McLean, General Motors Global Product Safety and Systems Engineer. Joe, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks, Jason. Really appreciate the opportunity and looking forward to inform the listeners on what we're doing and why we think it's so important. Okay, great. Well, like I said, there has to be that oh crap factor by some first responders when they show up to a crash or an emergency where there's an electric car involved and they have maybe never encountered one before. And so they might not know exactly what to do. That has to be pretty terrifying for some of these folks. It is. There's a the NTSB acknowledged the lack of comprehensive training in a report issued last year, but we have staked our leadership claim on the EV industry and in communicating our commitment to safety in a broad range of considerations. Number one being the product itself, but also keeping the first responders safe by giving them a, a lot of information to help, le- help them safely perform their jobs and their duties in saving the motoring public. So we think what we're doing, again, we're not the only ones communicating this commitment, but we think that by going face-to-face and delivering this type of training with hands-on and actual product and actual face-to-face interactions with subject matter experts from both within the General Motors and OnStar family, as well as our collaborators with the Illinois Fire Service Institute, it communicates a commitment to safety for the first responders. Now, some vehicles have batteries now that are are larger in some cases than a small car. And there has to be some concern around being around a very powerful battery pack if it's damaged, right? So we designed our batteries and our vehicles to withstand a number of you know crash situations. There are federal motor vehicle safety standards around how vehicles you know should perform and protect the occupants inside. 
I'll tell you what a lot of people aren't aware of that haven't been, you know, as versed in the first responder community in electrified vehicles in the recent years. But the color orange has been adopted by the uh, automotive industry to identify potentially dangerous and hazardous high voltage. So the batteries that are in pure battery electric vehicles are going to be larger. They are needed to propel the vehicle and extend the range, but they are becoming part of the chassis. So for a purpose-built vehicle, not one that is an internal combustion engine vehicle that has an, a, a battery designed to fit within the frame or chassis, but one that's really built from the ground up. And that's where we think we have a leading edge with our Ultium product and our approach to having those batteries become integral to the structure of the, of the vehicle. But the color orange is identifying potentially hazardous things that they don't want to try and touch or cut, but first responders should understand that we've taken a lot of effort to not only keep the battery low in the vehicle for a bunch of reasons, it's heavier than, than most other components in the vehicle, provides for a lower center of gravity, but we've also had most of the high voltage components pushed away from areas where they might expect to interact with the vehicle or cut into. So, and again, the coloring orange identifying those as potentially hazardous, but batteries are getting larger. We're confident in the chemistry and the approach with lithium ion batteries. But the other term that we introduce to uh, first responders and trainees is the idea of XEV. So there might be plug-in hybrids. They might be hybrid electric vehicles that they come across in the field. They potentially could be fuel cell electric vehicles. So SAE and other standards development bodies and organizations around the world, the concept of XEVs is something we try to introduce. But this training is focused specifically around battery electric vehicles. My guest is Joe McLean, GM's global product safety and systems engineer. We're talking about how to keep first responders safe and the training that they go through uh, to keep them safe involved if they're uh, involved in helping at a EV crash. How do you go about training these folks? What all is involved from their perspective? Well, that's a great question. We're really excited that we are able to block four hours off for the trainees to come to. This training is provided at no cost to them. We are partnering, again, with industry leaders and folks in the fire service. For a four-hour block of instruction, we give them an introduction and tell them a little bit about the history of electrification. A lot of people are surprised to understand that it's not just decades old, but that in the beginning of transportation, modern transportation, the idea of an electrified vehicle in a battery was really a gold standard, was the holy grail. Many inventors, Thomas Alva Edison, Henry Ford, were all looking at you know electrified vehicles at the dawn of the automobile. And we also refresh people's memory on how General Motors had helped NASA and the lunar rover vehicles go to the moon with a battery electric vehicle. And we're doing it again with partnering with Lockheed Martin and proposing to NASA for the future Artemis missions for manned spaceflight back to the moon and beyond. But the idea of electrification to many people will be new, but we try to convince them or tell them and communicate how long this has actually been going on and how committed we are to safely following processes that have guided us very well over more than 100 years to design, engineer, test, validate, produce, service, and ensure that we have safe product in our customers' hands. We then break people down and we break the groups of you know, trainees down into four smaller groups. We have a round robin in which they get small group, face-to-face -face interaction with subject matter experts on things from battery electric vehicle technologies, refreshers on you know, electrical energy concepts, 
they get walk through the many resources and documents that have been posted by us and other automakers on sites like nfpa.org, the National Fire Protection Association. And we make them available, the resources that are already available. We talk about telematics and connected vehicle solutions and how OnStar might help, you know, provide them with more information that they're getting with dispatch if they don't ask. And then we talk about fire and fire suppression techniques, but it's a really comprehensive look at how committed we are to, again, the safe deployment of this technology and the safe interaction by the first responders and second responders on the roads. Do they also have a chance to be physically with a vehicle that might have been compromised, might have been crashed up or, or cut open, or, or at least get the chance uh, with their equipment to cut open a vehicle and, and actually have that hands-on experience? So we have, we are very proud to say that this is, we think, the first time that an automaker has taken product, actual vis- physical product, and shown first responders. We do indeed have a Hummer EV that was involved in a crash test that we performed an extrication event on at our Milford Proving Ground. And we show them that the techniques are exactly the same for performing all of the, you know, dash rolls, the cuts in the pillars, the idea of that this is totally different from their approaches with internal combustion engines is just not true. There are some considerations that we advise them about, the color orange and the location of the high voltage components, but we also make them aware of resources they largely did not know existed before they come to the training. But we do have actual physical vehicle product that they can touch. We have battery pack trays that have been involved in accidents in a rollover, a semi-truck carrying more than 30 bolt battery packs in Rolla, Missouri earlier this year. We have an example battery pack from that accident that they can smell, they can actually touch and see, you know, what it is when these vehicles get in, or these batteries in that case, get into some of the uh, accidents or emergency situations. We're also highlighting, you know, we think an innovative approach to providing alternative forms of information, increasing their intelligence, increasing their awareness, perhaps before they even arrive on scenes. So we've got an app that we think is market leading that you know, has an alternative presentation of rescue information that we've gotten a lot of good feedback on as well. Does this training, as I'm speaking with Joe McLean, GM's global product safety and systems engineer, work for just General Motors vehicles, or could they take this training that you're providing and use it in case of a Ford or a Rivian or a Tesla uh, crash? So many of the concepts, again, that Automakers that have committed to collaborative approaches and working, you know, in those standards bodies, be it SAE and ISO and others, we communicate that this is an industry approach that many have taken. We certainly don't focus only on General Motors products, but we do highlight where we think that we've got a safe approach and make them aware of what's coming down the road. We introduce them to the idea of our Ultium battery products and our vehicles, starting with the Hummer, the Cadillac Lyric, the Silverado EV, the Chevy Blazer, and, and on and on, that you know, we think is a the next generation of approach that is currently on roads. But we do focus on battery electric vehicles as agnostic as possible, but we're given the training. So we want to highlight and talk about how seriously we, we're committed to this. You mentioned earlier 
second responders. And typically that could be a late officer that's coming to the scene to help with the investigation. Tow truck drivers are probably in that mix. Would this training be valuable for those folks, for the tow truck drivers, especially as they're trying to crawl under and around these EVs as, as they're trying to get them up either on a tow truck on the flatbed or just haul them away? Absolutely. And we have had several tow truck and salvage yard operators attend the training. This is intended to raise awareness for all of the first and second responders, but certainly the, the term second responders are those that might deal with an accident after the, you know, the traffic has been cleared and normal, you know, flow has been established on the roads, but the tow truck operators, the salvage yard operators, potentially even recyclers, I'd encourage listeners to go to the training website and it's gmevfirstrespondertraining.com. And we've got a link there with additional resources to look at things. Again, GM initiated, RecycleMyBattery.com. We're committed to the advance of transportation and electrification in many different ways. But we want to communicate that not only we're committed to the safety of the product, but for those that might come to interact on the very worst of days for the motoring public. And, you know, I came across another website with uh, first responder guides on it from General Motors. It says first responder guides, rescue sheets, quick reference sheets. And I was reading through the manual of the 2014 Chevy Volt because that's a car I still own. And I, I'm telling you, it's a great car. love the car. <laughs> wish you had made awesome. it. I wish you had not stopped making them. If you made an <laughs> SUV Volt, I would buy it in two seconds. Um, anyway, and I was looking through that manual. I, I learned some interesting things in there. And it warns first responders about these no-cut zones and that cutting certain cables can result in serious injury or death. Now, what if those cables are severed in a crash? I know you said that they're uh, listed as or, or covered in orange, and I've seen that when I've lifted up the hood of, of my Volt. How do the first responders deal with them? Do they have to wear special gloves? Do they have to move them out of the way? I mean, how do they physically deal with a car that has some of those cables either exposed or or cut open? That's a great question. So first of all, most of those high voltage components and in, in the battery itself in your Volt, congratulations, it's a great vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it is. Very, very under, um, under talked about. It was a yeah. great product. I'm glad you like it. Um, we learned so much from that vehicle product and the development of lithium ion battery technology, as well as sophistication in what's called a battery management system. And so I'll tell you, uh, one of the documents that your listeners and we direct first responders to is an SAE document that came about after we conducted training on the Chevy Volt itself. In fact, the inspiration for this current training was found with the Chevy Volt tour back in the early 2010s when that vehicle was being launched. But the document that we reference is called SAE J2990. It's a recommended practice for first and second responders with plug-in and hybrid and electric vehicles. Again, the term XEV has uh, come into fashion on later versions and you know, information reports aligned with SAJ2990. But there are, they make recommendations to OEMs to have at least consider four ways to disconnect the high voltage systems. And one of those is in case of an accident. So certainly if the airbags are deployed or the vehicle knows that it's in an accident, that high voltage energy is automatically isolated to the battery pack. Likewise, if there's a internal fault with the voltage or the temperature, there's means and mechanisms that we've considered and others have as well to isolate that energy in the battery pack. 
what we're telling first responders, if you come upon a breached or otherwise broken cable, don't touch it. But if you need further confirmation that the energy is, again, isolated into the battery pack itself, you can cut the 12 voltage cut loop and we identify where those 12 volt cut loops are. First responders are very familiar with dealing with those and disengaging airbags uh, so they don't blow in the face of a first responder trying to get to an occupant in a crash. But there are a number of things that we and other automakers have considered and implemented to ensure that that energy is not a danger should the battery pack be breached or some of the cabling be broken. You know, I was reading more through that manual and in there, it said you mentioned how they cut usually the 12 volt electric system. That cord has been disabled because then they will protect themselves from having any accidental um, airbag deployment in the car because that might hurt somebody who's still trapped in the car. But, you know, as well as I do, there are times where the first responders, the firefighters get in there, their adrenaline's going, they see somebody trapped in there and they just start cutting things and they get the jaws of life out there and they just start prying stuff open. So is it is do they really have time to review material when, when they're all amped up and just trying to help somebody in the heat of the moment? So again, we encourage the training and their attendance to the training and certainly training within the volunteer fire service is difficult to conduct, but we encourage them to take a look at the available resources for those tabletop discussions, for those, you know, routine training stand-up discussions to refresh their memories. And we're also, that's part of it. It's a great question. That's what we're looking at in that app that we think would be an alternative presentation to give timely, accurate information for that vehicle specific uh, as they're in route or initially on scene, certainly when seconds matter, you rely on instinct. And what we try to communicate as part of this training is their training is all valid. In fact, uh, the vast majority of how they interact with internal combustion engine or hybrid vehicles today will be the exact same. Please do not think that using the jaws of life in the same areas or understanding where those high strength steel locations are is that different in a battery electric vehicle. Again, those high voltage components and those things that you mentioned, not only are they located low in the vehicle, below the level of the rocker panels, but the high voltage components are also pushed outside of the passenger compartment area. So we actually filmed you know, that extrication event with the Hummer EV, and it's the exact same type of situation or type of a maneuver that you'd perform on an internal combustion engine vehicle. You mentioned just a moment ago, as we were talking about the Volt, that you've been working on this training since the Volt for a long time now. So this training probably has changed, though, over time and will probably have to evolve with future vehicles and with the event of, uh, of, of solid-state batteries. So all of that will have to be updated. And so even the folks that went through the training even a couple of years ago will probably have to be retrained as, as more EVs are hitting the market with different technology. Without a doubt. And again, as a market leader and, and showing our commitment and being best partners with the first responders and second responders across the country, we are committed to that evolution of training. We are committed to making sure that they've got confidence. And again, these can come from accredited partners and we invite participation from other automakers and from other you know, agencies like the NFPA who are great partners. And we think there's a tremendous opportunity, again, as part of education and outreach on what the future of transportation will look like. And certainly you mentioned solid state batteries. I mentioned fuel cell electric vehicles. I mean, there are a lot of things 
coming out that certainly the industry is evolving at an astronomical pace, you know, let alone the future of automation and self-driving vehicles. Let's not touch that too much today, but <laughs> right. the idea of electrified vehicle products becoming more mainstream and certainly in greater numbers on the roads, people are going to come into interaction with electrified vehicle product, but you know, they should feel confident that the industry is putting safe products out there, but also trying to educate them and, and show them that we've taken a lot of their considerations really close to heart. As I was thinking about this uh, interview over the last couple of days, I was thinking that it might be more important to work with larger fire departments than smaller ones, because in a, in a big town, you're going to have more folks buying EVs and they're going to be out and about and you have more crashes typically in big towns. But the smaller towns, the smaller communities don't have the same resources for training as the larger ones. So they might be even more at risk when people start either traveling out of the major cities to the smaller ones or start buying the EVs out in the smaller towns. How do you deal with, you know, the smaller towns uh, versus the big towns and, and how you're going to train them uh, and, and get them all up to speed? That's a great question. And we've, we've really thought about this comprehensively. So I'll tell you, this face-to-face, -face, direct, hands-on training that we're conducting certainly will be limited by the number of cities that we can go to, the time in the day or the years. We're also looking at the possibility of taking this and putting it online for consumption when we're done doing in-person training. I will also tell uh, you and your listeners that if there are any volunteer firefighters or folks in the rural communities, you can go right now to nfpa.org EV and take the training that they have produced free of charge by using code GMEV1. I mean, we are really looking to comprehensively address many of the concerns from the volunteer firefighters across this country, because we know the vast majority of fire, fire service in this country are volunteer, but we have strategically chosen those metro markets. And, you know, we're certainly looking at the Mountain West and the Denver area as well, but we're going to New York City next. And we are making our way around the country, but we have looked at this comprehensively and we think that the folks from the volunteer fire service, those in rural communities that are interested in that training or interested in raising their awareness, we want to tell them where the resources are that they can go to gain some information. And if they'd like to sign up for some of the in-person training, please come, but they can get some of the training free of charge. GM has worked with NFPA to provide that training, again, for rural and uh, underserved communities around the country. And I'll make sure I'll put that link to that website as well as that GM code that you just gave me in the description of this show so people can get it right there. All they do have to click and they can get right to it. Uh, who pays for all of this? Is it GM? Is it you're taking collections up? You have a collection plate? Who's who's <laughs> going to pay for all of this? General Motors is, is conducting this training. Again, we are committed to the deployment, the development of this training. We are working with our partners at Illinois Fire Service Institute, but General Motors is taking care of this training. And uh, last thing for me, I know we're running out of time here, Joe, uh, is that it's probably good information too. For the owner of these vehicles, I learned something by going to that first responders guides and rescue sheet and the reference sheet to, to see what electronics are really under my car and under the hood and, and within the car. I learned a lot from just looking at that. So it's probably a good idea if, if the vehicle owners, if they're involved in a crash, to have at least a little bit of knowledge of this stuff. 
without a doubt. And that's why we've made that information publicly available, publicly available and free for you if you are interested. And there are a number of groups who are aficionados of this technology, but raising awareness and encouraging mass adoption of this technology only comes about through experience, education, and outreach. And again, that information uh, is freely available for you as a consumer, for anybody who's interested in the technology to take a look at. But again, we're excited about this transformation. We're committed to the future of electrification and education and outreach are something that I'm really passionate about. Well, I wish you uh, Godspeed getting across the country and getting to these first responders, especially in those smaller areas, so you can uh, so you can teach them what they need to know to keep everybody safe. I'll tell you, we had a webinar yesterday with the National Volunteer Fire Council, and um, about 200 folks on the. It was a recorded webinar, so it'll be on their site. But um, had an opportunity to address you know that lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of what the technology is. Everybody hears about fires and they are concerned about fires, but they don't know to what lengths we as an industry have committed to, again, testing and validating those systems. One thing we show a video from the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, an independent you know, organization that crash tests and provides their own consumer metrics on our product. But we inform people that by regulation, we conduct those tests in-house at a high state of charge. And so, again, people don't know that you don't run, you know, gas-powered cars into walls and, mm-hmm. and crash tests with full tanks of gas. But essentially, we're putting nearly full or full batteries in these vehicles when we crash test them because we are confident in the technology. And again, many of those terms are new to the trainees and maybe to your listeners, but battery management systems and state of charge and kilowatt hours, you know, you don't need a degree in electrical engineering to, you know, understand some of these electrical concepts. It really is Mm -hmm. energy conservation. It feels like, you know, I'm an EV owner and driver. It's it's similar. You know, this Jason as a volt driver, you, you learn how to, you know, maximize your, your energy, you maximize your mileage, right? Well, especially in mine, because it only has a charge really of about 40 miles. And that's why the generator is such a great idea for that car, because then I can keep going forever. Don't disagree with you at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, no, it's a great car. And I just passed 100,000 miles, so I just wish you would make some kind of retrofit new battery pack so I could put a new battery in there and get maybe 100 miles on a charge instead of the 40. (laughs) All right, well, thanks again for being here, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, Jason. Same here. And again, that website that Joe mentioned, NF. P-A, so it's nfpa.org slash EV. That's the website. I'll have that link there in the description of this show. And then he gave the GM code. The GMEV1 is the code if you want to uh, try it, sign in, and, and take a look at all those, uh, all those informational uh, sites, uh, pages that uh, this site has. Because as I'm browsing it right now, uh, preview our EV safety training video. Register for first responder online training that meets the NTSB recommendations. Uh, electric vehicle community preparedness online trainings. Uh, learn more about lithium-ion battery fires. There's a video on that. Learn best practices in extinguishing EV fires. Uh, so those are some interesting videos that would really help, especially as we were talking about with Joe, the smaller departments that might not have the ref- or the uh, 
the resources to go through one of this uh, these trainings, and, and maybe GM's not going to come out to a small town fire department and, and train them. But this is maybe a good way to do that, or they could hopefully send a represent uh, representative to GM or maybe do another uh, training near them, uh, so they can uh, then disseminate that information to the rest of the department. So I, I applaud GM for for doing this, and I I'm, I would. Uh, be surprised if other automakers weren't doing uh, something similar and helping out in uh, similar ways. Since all the automakers are going to be a little bit different in, in how they handle their EVs, and we've all seen the fires from Tesla and uh, all those batteries. And I wonder if solid-state batteries are really going to help out in that um, effort to keep uh, fires from happening with the lithium, lithium ion batteries. Thanks again to Joe for the time uh, and for you listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, of course, you can get me on any of the contact links in the description of this show, or you can always call that listener hotline at 303-832-0217. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.